The instruction and advice presented are not intended as a substitute for medical counseling, but we want you to move your ass here at WCBN weekdays, excluding Friday, from 6 to 6.30. Let's get some more Richard Simmons. And speaking of getting the blood circulating, let's circulate some of that blood up to the cerebellum and the gray matters. Yes, indeedy. Welcome to another edition of Gray Matters, the weekly news and media talk show. My name is Dick Whaley. And I'm Jim Dwyer. And uh, Gerald Ford made uh, a few mistakes in his career, but uh, marrying Betty Ford was not one of them. Uh, might have been my favorite first lady. Huh. Uh, something about her was uh, refreshingly honest. Our government, of course, is a system in theory of checks and balances. Uh, we're seeing a rivalry between the executive and the uh, Congress right now over these uh, oh perpetual debates about raising the debt ceiling that uh, doesn't seem to be doing the economy any good for a variety of reasons. But Betty Ford seemed to have been a positive check on Gerald Ford. And uh, as the saying goes, behind every great man, there's a great woman, right? Well, and it took uh, a lot of courage for her to uh, admit her personal problems. And uh, in the public eye, of course, politicians and their families are highly scrutinized, and for good reason, uh, for obvious reasons. But uh, although the Betty Ford Clinic became a sort of a running joke anytime a celebrity had a uh, substance-related uh, mishap. Yeah, I uh, think Lindsay Lohan might actually own stock. In the- <laughs> well, if her Betty management is, is smart, they will have invested in that. But, for example, uh, Pat Nixon also had a lot of personal dependency issues, uh, hard drinking. I mean, wouldn't you drink heavily if you were sleeping with Nixon? I think so. (laughs) After all, he was known as Tricky Dick. So, um, although I think uh, Gerald Ford was probably a much better husband than uh, Tricky Dick was, again, uh, Betty Ford is, I think, a heroic figure in American politics. Yeah, in many ways, and I think one of her underrated sort of political policy accomplishments besides the breast cancer uh, Mm -hmm. business and the rehab stuff, which uh, is probably, uh, I think the media is pretty much claiming that's going to be her long-lasting legacy. Uh, She was pro-choice, and this made uh, uh, Gerald Ford uh, would actually publicly discuss the fact that uh, his wife disagreed with him on that. She also was an advocate for the ERA amendment, uh, which uh, miraculously has never been ratified here in the United States, thanks to the uh, dunces of the Confederacy. And the dunces of the Confederacy are still with us, uh, driving public policy in all sorts of areas. And uh, it was that Ford-Reagan battle of 17 or 1976 that... Uh, mm really led to the changes in the Republican Party fundamentally. And I don't know that Gerald Ford would even fit in the modern Republican Party. And he, of course, was a bastion of Midwestern traditional conservatism, um, kind of an Eisenhower, Mm -hmm. Milliken-style 
breed of Republican that, frankly, no longer exists. The so-called moderate Republican is uh, an extinct species. In fact, shortly before his death, uh, he went on the record as saying that this Republican Party today is radical. It's yeah. extreme. Uh, even Barry Goldwater, uh, before his death, uh, said as much. <laughs> yeah. So uh, that's, that, something. that's really saying something, because as Ford was a moderate Republican, uh, Barry Goldwater was uh, a radical re Republican in the uh, early and mid-60s. So, yeah, what is today's Republican Party? Uh, confused. <laughs> confused and almost un-American. It, uh, you know, it's interesting. There's been some discussion over the past couple of weeks uh, about this 14th Amendment, um, which is an interesting amendment of the United States Constitution because, of course, it's... It's best known as the uh, so-called Equal Protection. Um, it's the Equal Protection Clause, and so many of our laws are debated under uh, basically Section 1. But it's fascinating that the uh, it has emerged in recent weeks that there's actually been an open discussion of Section 4, which I wanted to read today for uh, those Tea Party listeners out there and other interested parties. Because uh, uh, this is fascinating. I don't know if Barack Obama can invoke uh, insurrection as a grounds to pay the public debt, regardless of <laughs> Congress's inability to act. Um, fascinating, by the way, that there's a uh, well, there was a report on one of the blogs, political blogs over the the weekend, that Eric Cantor, uh, the uh, majority leader, has uh, invested heavily against American bonds. <laughs> Well, that's uh, shorting the system. That's the American spirit. Yeah, uh, let's uh, you know why why let a good crisis go to waste? Let's create one. <laughs> uh, anyway, Section Four of the Fourteenth Amendment, ratified in 1868. We hear all this rubbish from the Tea Party about the Constitution and adherence to it. Wonder if they've read this one: the validity of the public debt of the United States, authorized by law, including debts. Uh, incurred for payment of personal, uh, of, excuse me, of pensions and bounties for services in suppressing insurrection or rebellion shall not be questioned. The 14th Amendment was ratified in 1868, and of course this insurrection and rebellion that they were referring to was the Civil War. <laughs> It goes on to say, but neither the United States nor any state shall assume or pay any debt or obligation incurred in the aid of insurrection or rebellion against the United States or any class for the loss of emancipation of any slave, but all such debts, obligations, and claims shall be held illegal and void of course, the 13th Amendment was essentially the ratification of the Emancipation Proclamation mm. issued by Abraham Lincoln. And uh, there's been some open discussion that the uh, president uh, should invoke Section 4. And obviously, the Treasury is going to have to do something uh, rather uh, remarkable on uh, August 3rd or 4th, assuming that this well, debt they've, ceiling they've is They've set raised. a July 22nd deadline. Yeah to sort of have a little bit of a breathing space there so that the markets uh, won't react as uh, we're all afraid that they will. 
it ain't going to be pretty. And, uh, I, you know, to me, the thing that's so outrageous about this is that the Republican Party, uh, before Barack Obama was inaugurated as president, we went from being a net creditor nation under Ronald Reagan to this present debt situation. The empirical evidence is unambiguous. There are, are 30 years of accounting records, if you check the World Almanac, that demonstrate that the Republican fiscal policies is what has created this massive debt and deficit, so to speak. And it's rather remarkable that they're complaining about it now. It's an utterly artificial crisis in that regard because it's, it's being used as a sort of a we need to make cuts to balance the budget, but it's not really about balancing the budget. No. It's about attacking programs and aspects of the, the government itself um, under the disguise of balancing the budget. Because as anyone knows who's tried to uh, organize a personal household budget, you got to take in some revenue. Yeah. Otherwise, there's nothing to talk about. You can't keep cutting and i don't you know the other thing that mystifies me is uh, even the most recent jobs report once again demonstrates that uh, state and local governments are laying people off mm -hmm. we saw here in ann arbor recently that uh, 20 uh, police officers and firefighters were laid off for budget reasons this is contributing to the unemployment so it's curious why the republicans complete com complain about the fact that because of state and local budgets being imperiled uh, due to a loss of tax revenue, layoffs are occurring, unemployment is going up. What on earth are they complaining about? And then they make the absurd uh, two things that are just completely bizarre. Um, they continue to assert publicly that the stimulus package didn't work, when in fact the stimulus package is what prevented these government, state and local government layoffs in the first place. And then the second thing is they throw out the old-fashioned canard, we need a balanced budget amendment. Right. Well, wait a minute. We didn't even ratify the ERA amendment that Betty Ford was in favor of. <laughs> she was a reasonable person. <laughs> a good person. <clears throat> a wonderful person in many ways. So it's uh, remarkable that this phony proposal for a balanced budget amendment First of all, it makes no fiscal sense. No government operates like that. Um, it's sort of like asking a college student to uh, balance his budget before he goes to school. <laughs> so what's going to happen to the Pell Grants uh, this coming uh, September? What are all, all Good question. A quarter of uh, American college students going to have to uh, disenroll from uh, the university? I don't think the country understands the urgency of the situation at hand. The Republican Party continues to play games with the American economy for cynical political pur purposes. And as Oscar Wilde once famously said, a cynic is a person that knows the price of everything and the value of nothing. Indeed. Well, uh, when you have uh, Republican legislators who are saying uh, openly uh, right from the beginning of the Obama presidency that their goal is to make sure that he's not a two-term president, regardless, apparently, of what devastation that might wreak on the country's uh, economic recovery, uh, that's uh, a little expensive way to uh, play political games. Because uh, when the 
stuff hits the fan, then then what will they have to offer? <laughs> they have so, Gingrich. Yeah, right. Wait, the stuff hitting the fanny. <laughs> That's right. He just needs to turn sideways, and it's all accounted for. But before we think about that too much, let me mention this name. Have you heard of Chris Chocola? Mm, no, I don't think so. Doesn't this like, is a very... Like, is he related to Count Chocola? Uh, yeah, that was my thought exactly. <laughs> was Chris Chocola, that's C-H-O-C-O-L-A, Chocola? I don't know how you pronounce it, but it sure looks like Chocula to me. Well, according to an article by Stephanie Kirschgesner in the Financial Times, conservative anti-tax advocate makes U.S. deficit demand. Chris Chocola is the man standing on the sidelines urging conservatives not to blink in the game of brinkmanship over an increase in U.S. borrowing authority. Here's a quote from Mr. Chocula. Quote, there is a broad-based concern about the size of government, and this debt ceiling vote is going to be a seminal moment, says Mr. Chocola, the president of Club for Growth, an anti-tax advocacy group that has significant influence in Republican politics. Here's the kicker. Quote, this is the moment where we choose what kind of country we want to be, close quote. Well, I don't know about you, Count Jocula, but I think Americans are pretty comfortable with the idea of the America that we have chosen. Yeah. And this starts to smell an awful lot like a Chamber of Commerce cover group. Well, the Club for Growth has been around for quite some time, actually. Uh, yeah, it goes back quite Wall some. Wall Street Journal dude, uh, what's yeah. his name, Stephen Moore has been the public face of the Club for Growth for quite some time on uh, many of the uh, political uh, cable talk shows and uh, business shows. Private equity firms are their biggest uh, financial supporters. Yeah, and they're probably uh, collecting all sorts of money from all sorts of business interests, though I I continue to be confused why responsible businesses would advocate uh, anything that the Tea Party is is advocating. And as for being concerned about the, quote, country we live in, what is he uh, implying? That we want to live in Greece? Right. Where there are riots? Yeah. And we talked a couple of weeks ago about the comparable austerity measures in Greece. Uh, And of course, they've kicked the can down the road regarding that uh, rollover of debt. But it would represent $1.75 trillion of American budget cuts that would need to be made. That, roughly speaking, is half of what the government spends in a year. Now, if the Republicans want to come up with a 50% reduction in the federal government, let's see the numbers. It's not going to come from chopping $300 million from Planned Parenthood. Indeed, and it's important to remember that the Chamber of Commerce, although it sounds like an official uh, government body, it's not. It's a private organization of businesses and businessmen, uh, like the National Association of Manufacturers. Both have uh, historical involvement with organizations such as the John Birch Society. At the end of the day, they're less interested in politics, pure politics, than they are bottom line, but they've used things like the John Birch Society and those fervent, rabid, anti-communist yahoos uh, to harass, say, the uh, Harry S. Truman uh, mm-hmm. and uh, LBJ administrations. And as the saying goes, they're not a, a club, they're a gang. <laughs> it's a gang. It's not a club. It's not a club, it's a gang. 
It's not their gang. It's a it's club. A yes. Uh, well, and the thing too is they are closely connected to Grover Norquist, and he, of yep. course, is the munchkin gnome behind a lot of this uh, uh, fiscal nonsense that's going on in uh, Washington uh, right now. He's uh, gotten all sorts of members of the Tea Party and whatnot to sign pledges that they will, under no circumstances, um, raise taxes, which, of course, is the Republican uh, talking position at this point. And when we have debates about uh, oil subsidies, and, you know, Obama may have overplayed the uh, corporate jet uh, metaphor in his uh, press conference a couple of weeks ago. He had one today, by the way, which I completely missed. They must have made a uh, announcement about that while I was uh, in la-la land last night. But uh, to me, it's just remark. So I missed it, uh, what he said today. But I'm what I basically heard in summary was that he reiterated many of the same points he made a couple of weeks ago regarding this uh, seriousness of the situation. And he, of course, is presenting himself to the public as the adult in the room, and there mm -hmm. are good reasons for that. But uh, frankly, I might become a little more aggressive. I would suggest that, uh, well, August 3rd, we're going to shut down Fort Campbell in Kentucky. We're going to shut down uh, Fort Hood in Texas, and we're going to shut down uh, Fort Benning in Georgia. See if that gets some uh, people up in arms. <laughs> Pardon the expression. Uh, maybe if the military is the first uh, uh, person on the budget uh, cutting uh, chopping block, maybe uh, maybe we'll either get results or <laughs> maybe we'll get s some pushback. Well, and I think most Americans uh, would be in complete agreement with the idea that uh, oil companies and the CEOs of those organizations that make record profits, these are a matter of public record, uh, they enjoy uh, generous subsidies, they can't pay taxes? Yeah. I pay taxes. ExxonMobil made $40 billion last year. In the first quarter of this year, they made right. over $10 billion. And Mitch McConnell... And Eric Cantor, uh, two of the leaders in the Republican Party, are maintaining that they need to make they need to be allowed to keep subsidies. It's crazy. The political message that the Obama administration is presenting, I think, is a valid one. That this is a situation of shared sacrifice. And in his first press conference as president, he said the best thing that any president. Uh, well, it was even better than George Bush's famous "Read my lips." <laughs> He said, the party's over. Yeah. And to me, the party is over. Even a five-year-old child understands what that means. Uh, the party is over, and there needs to be some adult supervision in, 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 in this world. And Congress takes an oath to uphold the laws and statutes of the United States Constitution, and they are not doing their job. They're, they're playing political games with these... Uh, Interest groups in Washington, like Grover Norquist, who famously said we want to reduce government and strangle it in the bathtub. <laughs> the baby in the bathtub. Yeah. What an incredible uh, image. Yeah, and he said it with, uh, with a sort of a demonic glee, which made it all the more disturbing. So, yeah, when uh, Count Chocula and uh, Grover Norquist are making these suggestions... You wonder how many of these Republicans, A, actually believe this, mm -hmm. you know, that this response to uh, the economic crisis is valid and legitimate. Here's a photo of Tom Price holding up a meaningless diagram, a choice of two futures, 
is what he calls it, and it's just a simple bell curve type thing. Oh, if you do what the president wants, we're going to go down here into disaster, and if you do what we're saying, we'll be in economic recovery in no time. Well, gee, this all began under the economic uh, devastation of George W. Bush. So going backwards to that approach, I don't think so. And, of course, the argument that, that modest tax increases on the well-to-do somehow damages the American economy is completely false. I did check uh, about 15 minutes of uh, C-SPAN today, and who did I see giving a speech on the Senate floor live but Kent Conrad, uh, the guy that looks a little bit like Clark Kent, you know, with his glasses. Mm. He's the Senate uh, Democrat budget expert. He specifically pointed out that when Bill Clinton raised taxes up to 39.3%, um, jobs exploded in the United States. The deficit went down. This is responsible government yeah. uh, management. And uh, these arguments that the Republicans keep making, making defending Reaganomics are tired, worn, and old, and they are 100% wrong. There like is the not country, one, they're virtually bankrupt. Yeah, there's not one year that they can pinpoint uh, that demonstrates the validity of their argument. It's interesting, by the way, that over the weekend, uh, two related budget uh, issues uh, caught my attention. One, of course, the shuttle. Good riddance to it. Uh, it's perhaps done a few good things related to the uh, Hubble telescope, but struck me as always kind of a waste of money and never could quite figure out what really was what was the shuttle really doing i think largely pr yeah and it's uh you know these nasa people have been laid off and i'm not in favor of eliminating nasa but i think uh, some new priorities and objectives need to be pursued uh the united states announced 800 million uh dollars of suspended aid to pakistan fascinating it seems that the Pakistan-Afghan relations are simultaneously deteriorating at an alarming rate. And uh, perhaps we should cheer this on and get the heck out. Indeed. Declare victory. You know, it's interesting. I've been reading this. Uh, and, you know, let me just quick, oh, yeah. add quickly that uh, China has been getting more and more involved uh, with Pakistan as a sort of a bulwark against the economic growth of India, sure, and that raises a lot of questions for the stability of the region. But uh, yeah, let's let China figure out how much fun Pakistan is. <laughs> Go ahead, boys. It's all yours. It's all yours, and it's fascinating. Nothing but mess. It's fascinating because I've been reading this book, uh, uh, you know, Between War and Peace. This is the this is the brief paragraph on on Vietnam that just perfectly sums up what's going on with our situation in Afghanistan. The Vietnam War is the only unmitigated failure in American military history because it detracted from vital national interests, both foreign and domestic. It was a war that never should have been fought. With no critical interest at stake, the United States injected troops piecemeal into the war, reflecting a failure to formulate an effective strategic uh, balance of ends, ways, and means. Its allies, the government of South Vietnam and the Army of the Republic of Vietnam, suffered from poor leadership and rampant corruption that crippled their capacity to develop a skilled military force. By contrast, the, Viet, uh, the North Vietnamese and uh, their South Vietnamese allies, often referred to as the Viet Cong, exhibited a deep moral commitment to their war aims 
and that made them formidable and finally invincible. With no sound policy or strategic logic, the United States never matched that commitment. Setbacks, frustrations, losses, and the ultimately disillusionment with the South Vietnamese government and its military compelled an agonizing, costly withdrawal that took far too long. Boy, all you got to do is change the names there, yeah. and that is a point-by-point point exact analysis of Iraq, uh, Afghanistan. Yeah, and uh, even some of the frustrations that, that have involved, you know, are they're involved with Pakistan. Yep. Fascinating, by the way, that Leon Panetta, the new Secretary of Defense, uh, has been making the rounds in the region, and he basically uh, thinks that we have Al Qaeda almost whipped. So let's declare victory and get out. <laughs> Maybe Obama should uh, use the budget crisis or the shutdown, whatever you prefer, to uh, uh, implement those goals. And speaking of not learning the lessons of Vietnam or having a sense of fiscal responsibility in the face of a crisis, John McCain, surprise, surprise, uh, out and about without his space helmet again, is arguing on the weekend chat shows that... Uh, the U.S. should keep as many as 13,000 troops in Iraq beyond the end-of-the-year deadline. Uh, he says that there is a compelling case for keeping forces in Iraq into 2012. Quote, I'm, not, I'm talking 10,000 to 13,000 specifically for intelligence capabilities, air capabilities, also a peacekeeping force in the disputed areas around Kirkuk and that area. Oh, that area, which mm. has got issues with Kurds and Shia and Sunni. And what are you talking about, John McCain? We got no business in Kirkuk. Um, I Let's would, exit. I would locate that space helmet. <laughs> yeah, he appears on all the talk shows. And uh, one thing that we failed to mention is, uh, well, that I wanted to mention real briefly, is the finally this goofball trial in... Uh, in uh, um, Florida is over, the Casey Anthony trial. And, uh, you know, this is a classic example, once again, of the American media's confusion between the First Amendment and the Sixth Amendment. Um, you know, the Sixth Amendment is the right to a fair trial. Uh, obviously, this uh, situation is a tragedy of uh, major proportions. I am somewhat skeptical that this young lady was guilty of first-degree murder. But she certainly was involved in mischief, and there was so much perjury and lying going on in the stand. Mm. Uh, I don't know how any uh, sort of reliable verdict could have been formed. And the state, of course, made uh, all sorts of blunders. What's well, fascinating how uh, the pseudo-celebrity of Kathy, uh, Casey Anthony fits right in with the unbelievable demise of the Rupert Murdoch. Oh, yeah. <laughs> News of the world, which I thought to myself, news of the world. No, this needs to be the the views of the greed and the uh, stupidity of Rupert Murdoch. Uh, his his publication bit the dust in a week, and new reports today that they were hacking Gordon Brown. Oh, they were hacking all sorts of people, and what really turned the tide against them was that they were hacking the cell phone of a teenage girl who'd been killed. Yeah. And uh, made these basically public. Now, that's interference with police business. Yeah. Uh, All sorts of unbelievable <laughs> just, uh, For a start. 
Um, and so there's been major sackings. He's protecting his son. He's protecting uh, the, the young woman who he's groomed to manage the British wing of his uh, fiscal empire media uh, kingdom. But uh, interesting to see uh, Rupert Murdoch besieged by, uh, re- qu- uh, you know, querying reporters with microphones on the golf course. Yeah. Even Fox, Fox News, News had to be there. How could they not? <laughs> All the publishers, men and women, I see the movie forthcoming. Uh, this is, uh, you know, a bit of schadenfreude on our part, but uh, Rupert Murdoch's stock is plummeting, and this scandal does not appear to be mm, tamped down by any stretch of the imagination. No, this is just beginning. Fascinating. It's going to get even uglier, I think. Rupert had to leave the golf course out there. Uh, I think he was in Idaho uh, playing golf with the... Uh, the rich and the famous, uh, the people with the tax breaks that the Republicans are protecting. And he quickly uh, scooted over to uh, Great Britain to uh, handle the escalating scandal that I don't even think had even started a week ago. But it's remarkable that the uh, London's uh, number one newspaper uh, had to shut down within one week. And uh, this, of course, is connected to... uh, Prime Minister Cameron and uh, the aide, uh, Andrew Golson. Mm. Great name. Golson. Chocula Golson. <laughs> We've got it all down here. <laughs> the names abound. So, uh, yeah, the, the Casey Anthony trial. Uh, I wish the media would, would calm down on these trials, not cr- turn them into these circuses that... Uh, or you know, focus the energy and concentration on something else. On real stuff. There are real uh, serious issues uh, at play in the world. Uh, This is not one of them. And guilty people get off in in our system sometimes, not because they're not guilty, but because maybe they are guilty, but they get off because the state is unable to prove its case. And the burden of proof in criminal trials is enormous. And this is another palpable example of the state of Florida misusing the death penalty. This was not mm-hmm. a death penalty case. In all likelihood, my I'm not an expert on all of the evidence, but I think that this young uh, child uh, did die in an, a swimming accident of some sort that was probably involved negligence. And then there was a massive cover-up by this family. Who covered up for who and what, was, what all the details were? We may never know, but... Uh, Something ain't uh, something is rotten in the state of Denmark. Shakespeare. Yeah. And there's plenty rotten in the state of Florida. (laughs) (laughs) Anyone who's been there can tell you. Yes. Uh, Well, we're just about out of time. Looks like Morgan's here to uh, do Yazoo City Calling. So we'll let him uh, sidle over to the uh, turntables here and queue up some stuff as we pack it up uh, for another week here on Gray Matters. You are listening to WCBN FM in Ann Arbor. I'll just mention really quickly a sort of a lighthearted article to close out with perhaps bizarre news from China uh, about luxury spending. And this from the July 5th uh, Financial Times. Taste for fast cars and whiskey cast China's women in new light. As Western luxury brands rush to tap the Chinese market, they are having to unlearn gender stereotypes associated with the products they sell. Chinese women buy more whiskey and fast cars than their Western counterparts, while Chinese men purchase more face creams and handbags. Oh, no. (laughs) And it's explained in the article, 